Welcome. This is Engaging Process, a podcast video series where art education and art making meet. I am art education professor Dr. Kaya McComb. My pronouns are she, her. In this series, I talk one-on-one with professional artists to gain insight into the thinking, planning, experimentation, and research that becomes part of the artistic process. In this episode, I am delighted to be speaking with artist Brian Spolins. Brian, welcome to Engaging Process. Thanks, Dr. Kim. I'm happy to be here. I am really thrilled that we're having this opportunity to talk. You know, Brian and I are colleagues at Eastern yeah. Michigan University, and uh, here I've got a slide of you on the... <laughs> You're working in your art space, so for those people who are watching the video series, um, we can take a look at what you are doing. Um, Brian, what pronouns do you go by? I, I go by he, him. Okay, thanks. And um, I'm just curious, you know, I'm going to ask you a really simple question right okay. off the bat, you know, just to get this ball rolling, okay? Yeah. Something simple. Why? Why do you make art? Oh, the simplest of questions. <laughs> Let's just get kick it right <laughs> off, right? Why, why do you even bother with all of this? Um, the easiest answer was that I started making it a long time and I just didn't stop. Right? Um, I like doing it. Uh, I find that um, I really love the opportunity for me to work through my own problems and my ideas. And I get excited about having an opportunity to connect to other people. And, and it's a weird connection that you can make by like, um, spending time alone and feeling more connected to others is sort of the combination of like the introvert extrovert that I think, um, most artists are. Hmm. So you actually connect to others and yet work by yourself. Well, I mean, I, I think artists are sort of these, uh, people that these introverts that like go to their caves and make something and then they come out of the cave and then they're like, Hey, look at what I made, you know? So they have this like extroversion of like, Hey, look what I had, what I did whenever I was away from you people, which I, where I wanted to be. And now here I am like being that sort of hitting those like, uh, more social, like, Oh, I want to share this thing that I did whenever I was without you guys. And I, I think that it's sort of like that combo of intro and extrovert. Um, I think describes a lot of the art making process. And I think a lot of just printmaking and art making in general. That's interesting. How do you know when to come out of the cave? <laughs> you know, like, and, and I think it just sort of happens to you, right? How do bears know when, when you quit hibernating? I have no idea, right? Maybe it's maybe it's just like, oh, I've made enough things, and now I need to clear out some space from the cave. I mean, yeah. Maybe that's what does it. But Do you ever come out because you're interested in getting feedback from other people? Or is it more of a declaration, like, all right, I've been gone, now I'm done, here it is, ta-da! I mean, all the time. Right. My wife is constantly, you know, a uh, springboard of conversation. Like, what do you think of this? Like, do you like that? Like, you know, and showing her and um, I wish that I got more feedback. I'd like that more often. But I don't know. I think that I haven't been seeking it out as much recently. Now you're a teaching artist. Do you ever get feedback from your students or do you ever ask them about your work? I have at times I've been like, hey, I'm working on this thing and I got, you know, something specific to ask about. But I, I also think it seems sort of um, rude. You know, as a teacher, you're already sort of the center of attention, mm. you know, and you're sort of like asking, you're getting a lot of attention paid to you in, a, in ways that um, if I really thought about might make me uncomfortable, you know, because they'll notice like, oh, were you wearing these shoes with that shirt? You know, I've had students that notice like, oh, my sort of like shirt pants <laughs> combo being similar between weeks or something like that. And it's like, oh, I, I haven't been paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, like, that's cool. You just, cause you, you're sitting there, you have to, I'm talking a lot. Right. So you're paying attention. That's great. You know, I should be happy about that. Yeah. But there, I, I see where you're, what you're saying, mm-hmm. but there's also, right. We ask our students to be super right. vulnerable in their art making. And so it could also be mm-hmm. interesting to make yourself or ha- have ourselves make ourselves vulnerable, right. Yeah. In front of our students to kind of model the process. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm sure you probably do it more than you even realize. Yeah, well, I always think that the students too, like, I, I feel like I'm going to be the center of attention, but I feel I try not to make my appearance or too much of what I'm doing. I don't want to make them worried about me. Yeah. And, you know, so I try and I'm weird. I don't like getting a haircut during a semester. I like to try and move it so that it's on the outside of the semester so that I show up and I have like when hairstyle. Because I kind of feel like showing up and having a haircut's like, you know, like there's a couple of things that can happen with that. Nobody says anything, and that means you got a bad haircut, you know? 
or or like even suddenly it's like oh brian got a hair i gotta tell him that looks okay because like he got that haircut and you should tell somebody that your haircut looks nice you know yeah and then now they're having to worry about like whether i'm like getting their proper i just stay away from it sounds too like you're looking for some consistency for your students and creating right. an environment where they perhaps can predict and feel safe yeah. uh and not making as many changes so you said you started making art and you just sort of never stopped. But like, yeah. what age did, did that happen? Were you a teenager? Were you a young child? Like, do you have a first memory of making art or being noticed for making art? Um, I, I think that I was really easy to babysit with art. So like my mom was really social. So she'd just take me places and it'd be like, oh, here's some paper and some pencils or whatever. And like okay she'd take me to work with her where and i'd sit at a desk and like oh you know there's a typewriter at that desk i'll you know type up a little short story you know and like oh i've got some paper and some pens and i'll do a little drawing so mm. i could always sort of entertain myself with that and mm. i think i got a lot of praise for that because it was pretty you know what i mean i wasn't being too antsy or too crazy um and i just continued on i continued uh, making work through you know middle school i went to a fine arts high school in okay. Alabama, where um, at the Alabama School of Fine Arts, uh, which was away from my family. My family lived in Texas mostly. Um, and there I got to spend all day, basically. Like I had two sort of split classes where it's like I had about an hour and a half, I think, or in the morning and then an hour and a half in the afternoon. And then whatever time I'd spend uh, beyond that making art. So okay. I, did you go away to school then? Or yeah. Oh, that's it was wonderful. I like kind of different, right? You don't hear about that <laughs> happening is. that often. I was on the third, I was a third floor of a three-story building. That was where the dorm rooms were, and, and I lived up there. Oh, so wow. I had a roommate who was a ballet dancer, and uh, he would go and dance ballet like crazy all day. And I had uh, creative writing students, math and science students, um, music, all sorts of uh, big mix of a lot of different uh, teenagers that. You know, liked making stuff. Well, I grew up watching the sh movie Fame, so yeah. you, you've heard that before, right? Yeah, you've lived exactly, that life. That's what so, it was. wow. And I did. I left out the theater arts. But yes, there. Yeah, we had those as well. So I guess um, one advantage you had is clearly your family supported your impulse to yeah. be an artist. Yeah, and I, I think that they saw that I, I had a real interest in it, and that I had a knack for it. I liked doing it. I think that I had a, a long period of time in my high school years where it's like I'd come home and it's like I'd just go straight to my drawing. Uh, table and that's where I'd spend the rest of my evening and then and that's how I'd spend my weeks um so I think they saw that I was like really invested in in making these things and that I liked it so might as well that's really interesting Brian you know I so I introduced you as an artist mm -hmm. but I didn't classify right like people yeah. want to know like mm -hmm. you tell people oh you're an artist they want to know like yeah what 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 area what medium and they want to mm -hmm. they want a further label so if you add labels or not, what labels would you add to yourself? Like, how do you identify as yeah. an artist? That's a great question. And I don't think that I'm very good at answering it. Like, and part of it is that, you know, um, you know, I, I think I'd be fine with any label, artist, printmaker, painter. I wouldn't go to sculptor, right? Because I don't do enough of that, even though I do make 3D things. Um, so... Uh, but I think it's because I teach within a printmaking space, printmaker probably feels like the most comfortable, but, and drawer sounds not like it's just a terrible term, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they came up with draftsmen. Do you know what I mean? So that like drawers could. <laughs> it sounds like you have a Southern drawl, right? Like they're talking about your dialect or something. Yeah. Like a drawl. Drawer. I'm a drawer. Yeah. Um, yeah, printmaker. That's how I know you. Mm -hmm. I think of Brian Spolin's the printmaker. Mm -hmm. um, I have a student who has worked with you, and I said, "Oh, is printmaking." They said, "No, I have him for drawing right now." I was like, mm -hmm. "Oh, yeah. I was surprised. I didn't realize you also <laughs> taught drawing." So, but knowing your work, I mean, obviously, you're clearly capable of teaching drawing. So, uh, it's mm -hmm. interesting how we get pigeonholed into certain disciplines when we're teaching. Well, printmaking is exciting, and I like to talk about it sometimes as like an extension of drawing. Um, sometimes printmaking can be like drawing on steroids. Like, um, what do you mean? Say more. So a lot of those processes are like, oh, well, um, say relief printmaking for an example is like, well, you're drawing, but instead you're using this different tool that's going to carve out material. 
um, for intaglio, you're drawing, but you're just using a needle to like remove this sort of ground. Um, and in screen printing, sometimes you're like drawing with a broad, like you're using like painting approaches. And sometimes I'm using drawing approaches with the man. But instead of it being like the drawings, the final thing, it's like, oh, I use photosensitive material and then like, you know, add on these like extra steps to the process. So that instead of it being like, oh, here's pencil meeting paper, it's like, no, 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 no. Here's pencil meeting paper that then meets a light sensitive material that then's being exposed through um, a exposure unit that then moves onto a screen that then we, we then push it through um, with the squeegee. So in that way, like we're just making drawing complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just thinking, um, you know, I, I understand why right? you make a drawing and you apply it, mm -hmm. let's say, to a block, right? Right. Um, I've done some wood block printing. And then, yeah. of course, with kids, we often use linoleum it. or now they have a better, it's not better in terms of quality of print, but it's safer. Mm -hmm. This like a rubber block yeah. that yeah, is easy to carve. Yeah. And um, I'll have students work and draw what they want to put onto the block and then carve. But I've never considered the act of carving as drawing. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. It well, and... Uh, carving, I mean, that's probably the most direct and most fun and addictive of printmaking processes. It is that. And uh, and there's a real simplicity to it. Uh, it does take some real brain work to get it to figure out. But I th still think like that it falls in line with that idea of like it's just drawing but more complicated. There's nothing more exciting than having a class full of 12-year-olds, mm -hmm. handing them a series of knives mm -hmm. and having them carve. Yeah. Like the room is mm -hmm. silent. They just are so engaged and they I've watched students run mm -hmm. down the hall to a classroom in order to be able to work on oh. printmaking if there's carving involved um, and other processes. I, it's been years since I did screen printing, but I know mm -hmm. the similar right. They, they love children and youth love engaging in mm -hmm. complex processes. Well, and what's so fun about relief and uh, especially is that you kind of know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, but then there's this surprise at the end of like, ah, that's what it was. Um, and, you know, you kind of knew that that was what was going to happen. But especially when it's your first time doing it or you've only done it a few times, like it can be so such a well, it can be such a sort of surprising experience to be like, oh, that's what I made. You know, yeah. <laughs> and that's really, when you're drawing directly on paper, like, you know, there's not like whenever you're done, it's not like, oh, it's suddenly transformed. And I think that transformation that printmaking has of being like, oh, let's get that reveal of the paper pulling off the block and seeing that like can just be um, so joyous and fun. Well, I call it magic. Magic. It really is. <laughs> yeah. I, I had been away from teaching for a bit in grad school and I came back and I was demonstrating printmaking to a group of students and yeah. I went to pull the print. These were eighth graders. Mm -hmm. I thought they were messing with me because the whole class in unison was like, oh. <gasps> Yeah. And you know how snarky a, a teenager can be. And I thought, oh, they're just messing with me. And they were genuinely yeah. delighted. So yeah. the trick is to do it slow. Really? Why? <laughs> yeah. Because you, you like to draw out the experience. Yeah. yeah. I get my, my, my adults, right? My adult students will do the same thing. Like you pull it back slow and it, it just happens. It happens that way. If you do it quick, they're like, oh, okay, I saw that. <laughs> but slow, it just builds that tension of what's it going to be? Oh, that's exciting. Well, yeah. good, good. Well, let's look at some prints. Yeah. So we've been talking about it. So um, it, for those of you listening, I have a series of slides mm. that um, you'll be able to see on my website, um, drcamcreates.com. Um, but for now, what we have is just a couple images that um, can ground the conversation that um, Brian and I are having about mm. his work. And so just to kind of establish a context, um, Brian, what are we looking at? First of all, we were talking about carving. You mentioned screen yeah. printing. What process is utilized in this print? And then how would you mm -hmm. describe it to listeners? So um, this is a screen print, um, which is using photosensitive materials. But uh, the draw, it's uh, eventually made using a, drawing, uh, using a drawing that's put onto a screen that then is pushed through with ink. Um, I think that's maybe as simple as I can go. Maybe I could go somewhere. <laughs> but um, well, we've got a little video we'll show in okay. a second and talk through. But like, what imagery anyway. are we looking at here? What do you like? Hmm. I don't know. I look at this figure in the in the center, and I I grew up with Guns and Roses playing. You know, <laughs> I kind of think of 
the the metal albums. Okay. Yeah, like you've got a king kind of slumped in his chair there, and uh, that's perfect. There's, there's a castle sort of crumbling around, and I see a yellow rug that has sort of a Greek. Uh, yeah. What do they call that? A Greek key pattern or something? There's a name for that type of pattern. Um, yeah, um, I can't recall what it is, but I do just identify it as being uh, Greek. Yeah. Um, sort of slumped over it. We got a bag of McDonald's um, that's sitting there and some empty cups. And then there's some banners in the back that say, uh, totally noble 100%. Um, so uh, the image itself, I think, um, I think that... It's pretty good to use to, as a means to sort of undermine itself. And that's something that within this conversation already and within my artwork, uh, I think irony is really important. And I like saying sort of opposites and, contra and contradictions within the images. I think that thinking of these noble kings wearing like red, uh, bright red sort of as a sort of color of royalty and yellow as being um, rich as well, right? Or as being gold-like. Um, is setting up these sort of norms of what we see as being wise and as being just and as being uh, important. And, and I think that it's just as much of a sales uh, salesmanship that's occurred within these ideas of seeing. So in that way, like I like having these Kings that give us the idea of being wise and old, but I, in trying to undermine that by saying that it's just sort of a sales pitch that's occurring. Well, and the colors you're using, uh, you can't help, Right, you've got the McDonald's bag, so you mm -hmm. can't help but relate those two. And I know that those colors in particular mm -hmm. are used when marketing fast food yeah. because they do grab people's attention. They do mm -hmm. actually, I think, uh, create the sense of hunger yeah. as opposed to other colors that are used. So those are, in, and you're intentional. Mm -hmm. And you know that when you're making this image, it, right? Right. And um, in the... The textures, um, having all the wood textures around gives that sense of like antiqueness and importance and age. Uh, and then using the isometric drawing approach gives it a sort of fantasy or surreal surreality that I think allows for the ticket booth or for the, uh, the ticket meter that's happening in the bottom left to sort of go unnoticed as well. So for people not familiar with that term, you said isometric mm -hmm. approach. What does that mean? So whenever we're looking at drawing... Um, boxes or spaces there's a one-point perspective two-point perspective where things diminish to the horizon line but using the isometric approach means that all of the lines uh, don't diminish to a horizon line and uh, they follow i can't re remember the 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 angles but they are on like a six sixty and eight i can't remember the numbers yeah um it's just something you've incorporated into yeah. your practice and you just utilize but but you're still um, using tools. You're probably using rulers and protractors, you know, really thinking about how to engage this space, it sounds like. Well, what's great is that you can get some isometric uh, drawing rulers. So long as the you, uh, so you can just be using uh, triangles and use those triangles with a straight edge. And, and so that's how I'm being able to do that. You can uh, also get isometric drawing paper that has it built in. Oh. And it has a, it, it looks real, but it also um, feels not real at all which i think is pretty interesting yeah about it that uh, that um it not diminishing means that it has this sort of sense of perfectness but that perfectness feels false and and i really love the combination of those two things and and that's a lot that's built into my work in general so it sounds like are you building irony into the space itself May, right <laughs> like it seems like perhaps you're doing that yeah i wonder if a beginner might start with that kind of paper mm, that way yeah. they just can use the structure of the paper and then eventually wean themselves away from that if they mm -hmm. wanted um, yeah well and the rulers are easy as well too they okay. use that um is a you can just bump them up to the left side if you get a t-square and then a, and use your they're a common draftsmanship and uh, architectural tools yeah. So you can find them pretty inexpensively. And they're they are they are a blast just to make a drawing with. They're just fun. Yeah. Tools. I found um increasingly students are uh, they don't know how to use rulers mm -hmm. because very few tasks in our life require that. And so if somebody wanted to draw like this, they're going to have to really teach themselves how to hold and measure <laughs> and be intentional about that, right? Like we talk about in art education about what skills we want students to learn and 
Um, we can try to teach all those skills ourselves, but there's so many skills to learn. We can't teach them all. And um, the teen listeners listening to this podcast might, you know, realize that you can go teach yourselves these yeah. tricks, right? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it with these tools, too, it's just time, spending time with it yeah. and getting time to play. You know, and even if you're doing it wrong, talking about rulers, like, I mean, my measurements aren't always correct. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it six and a half and then a big and a, a big one and a little one. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, well, this ruler's got 16th. So I'm like, oh, a half plus an eighth plus a 16th. So instead of counting it as like whatever, nine, you know, that would be like 12, 13, 16ths or something like I, who, I can't remember 13, 16ths, but I can remember a half, a big and, and a little and. You know, well, and that's how I like um, people ask, well, when are you ever going to use algebra? And I said, well, you use it in art making all the time because X mm. means like this. <laughs> yeah. And you just hold out a piece of paper and that's how big it is. <laughs> and that means X. You don't have to know the number yeah. in order to repeat it. Well, I want to talk about the process and we've got a, um, mm. some images here. But before I do that, I just want to give some context to this. You know, in art education, we have these four standards that we're trying to teach throughout you know, the nation. Mm -hmm. Right. Connecting, mm -hmm. responding creating and presenting. And I find that the area that students tend to struggle with is how to really engage and connect their ideas to whether it's other artists, mm -hmm. whether it's issues in the world, like whether it's this image or your work in general, how do you connect your ideas? Like th this is not just a cathartic process of you making mm -hmm. art to make you feel good. It might make you feel good, but but you're trying to communicate bigger ideas here. How mm -hmm. do you as an artist research or come up with these ideas and connect? Like, I know it's a process, right. but how do you do this? That's a great question. Um, I think sometimes those connections happen through feeling your way and being reflective about what that feeling is. Thinking like, this doesn't feel complete. Well, why not? Or this feels too sincere. Well, okay, if I'm wanting it to be ironic, you know, or this feels too much like I'm saying this and I don't want to say that. Okay, well, that means that I need to be saying, putting in more of the opposite. So I need to contrast that more. And so I, I can follow those sort of simple ways to feel my way through it. But uh, most of the time, whenever I start off, I think a lot of it can um, stem from just having an interest in an idea you know, um, I like Greek myths. I'll read about these Greek myths and then I'll think about them later. I like reading about history. And sometimes I'll just like read about these historical figures and be like, that's amazing or interesting or compelling or I never thought of it this way. And I like to think that like research is um, that there's that researching and, and working on art is something that I can do like all the time. Um, whatever I'm thinking about in the car that makes me turn off the stereo or turn the music off so that I can think more about it, wonder and ponder, hmm. um, is like, that's the stuff that I bring with me to the art making so that I can suddenly go like, oh, what was it that I was, what was I hung up about on this idea? What was it that like disturbed me or like that I couldn't quite figure out about that like Roman <laughs> ruler, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what was it about that painting that I saw that because, uh, you know, I was just whenever I'm feeling un uninspired, like I'll just look through old art books and yeah. then be like, what's that? This is funny. This is strange. You know, um, what is it about this allegory? You know, and ask these questions about that to further like, uh, you know, add questions. What am I thinking about later? And bring that with me, because I think that's what people like to look at, too, is something that's interesting to me. I feel like. If I wasn't interested in it, why would why would someone else be interested in it, right? So even though you don't want a level of sincerity you, in your work, you mm -hmm. do want to be sincere about yeah. how you create the work, right? You want it to ring true to you and your interests. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I heard you say, right, that you're searching for things that interest you mm -hmm. and building upon that. I also heard you say that you need quiet. Mm -hmm. Right. There's times where you're turning off the radio. Mm -hmm. um, we live in a world right now where it's almost impossible to be anywhere that's quiet. Yeah. There's even research being done where young children are even starting to fear silence. So we're mm -hmm. starting to become aware that we need to incorporate that back into our lives because how do we know what we think if we don't have these quiet moments? Mm -hmm. And then 
the ability to reflect upon what you've done. That's what I heard you say. Is yeah. that an accurate description? Yeah, I, I think those are a huge part of my making process of reflection and thinking and considering. And, and I think sometimes it's research. Other times it's like, I just want to put something together and, and enjoy myself. And like, so I can't do, I, I don't think that I can just build one way. So that's why I think I have all of those. I'm okay with all those different printmaker, drawer, uh, <laughs> painter, you know? Yeah. Because sometimes it's like, oh, you know what? Uh, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I want to really work out and plan this, this print. And that's, uh, that's great. You know, like, oh, I'm going to have some sketches. I'm going to like work this out. I'm going to work out the space. And other times I'm like, I just want to draw. Just let me draw. I mean, I don't want to have to think about what it's going to look like first. And other times I'm like, I don't want to draw or do anything like that. Let me just cut up some little wood pieces and glue them together. So, and I feel like a lot of those are responses to like, I've just been thinking a lot. I need some time to like not think when, yeah. and still focus. And other times it's like, oh, I really want to be creative right now and just like come up with great ideas so that I can build that. So I try and sort of nurture all of those. And I'm never in a wrong space. I'm just sometimes not in the same space that I want myself to be. Hmm. So when you have that blank piece of paper and you hmm. know you don't know where you're going, okay. but you want to be creative and you want to just engage, what is your first mark tend to be? Hmm. Do you start with a square? Do you start with an organic line? Like what's the hmm. first thing that tends to interrupt the page? Well, it can be really easy, especially with the isometric drawing approach. You get these rulers. So you make a mark with a ruler and sort of go, oh, I want something to be right here in the middle. And then you just can respond to it. Yeah. Other times I've, I'm in the halfway through a drawing and that's whenever I'll hit a spot. And, um, and what's really fun, I, um, I didn't include it in the slides here, but um, I remember being in the middle of a drawing once and it was like, well, what, what am I going to put in this drawing? And like, well, let's have somebody giving a speech. Okay. <laughs> but what do, what do you do? Put them on a soapbox? I don't know. That sounds a little, a little corny. Well, what, you know, okay, well, where's a surprising place to give a speech from? Oh, a bathtub. <laughs> okay. That, yeah. <laughs> you know what? And like, I'm not like editing these ideas. It's like, okay, they can come to me. And then while I'm drawing that and thinking, you know what? Yep, that's surprising. Let's go with that. And then it was like, wait a second. Wasn't there that painting of a dude in a bathtub? And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, that's right. That was Death of Marat by like yeah. David. Who's, who's Marat? Like, who is this guy that died in the bathtub? So... Okay, well, I'm like one Wikipedia search away from finding out about this. And I remember reading these quotes from Marat. And he's like, he's got these amazing quotes that I totally agree with about like that the, and they're super political and they're super socially oriented, talking about the rich oligarchs at the time, like saying that they will never remove their boot from the necks of the lower class until they're forced to. And like, whoa, you know, this is talking a lot about the social and economic um, places that we're in right now, right? And Absolutely. And I'm like, wow, I love this. And then I read on and he's like, oh, he's responsible for having uh, murdered about 300 people from his like uh, Sansalil uh, newspaper without suits newspaper where these people that were being kept safe in these prisons outside of town while these riots went on, they went outside and they like murdered these aristocratic families, children, wives, uh, monks. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm cool with that. Yeah. Right. So looking at and thinking like, well, there's something amazing about this, like, cause I agree with them, but it also led to something really terrible. And the, that painting itself makes him seem like such a martyr for the cause. And whenever you find out who, uh, who killed him, right? Because it's the death of Marat. It was this like really amazing 17-year-old girl from the countryside who like came and told him that she was going to give him names of rich people. And he's like, oh, now that you gave me those names, they're going to be dead by morning, right? Yeah, right. And that's when she stabs him, right? So she's sort of like the hero of the story to some extent because like she's like, she's stopping this guy from sort of needlessly killing, you know, these other murdering these other people. And and I but at this but I like I kind of agreed with him. And do I disagree with her? Like was she the right one? So do you stick with that guy in the bathtub in the original drawing or yeah. do you just change from that or how does the story that you now know influence your art making moving forward? Well, and then it's like, well, now I need to have her and I I'm so I feel so bad that I've forgotten her name. But 
Um, but yeah, now I need to have her like, and now I need to show that like, oh, well maybe this is like a good thing and maybe this is a bad thing. How can I do that? So, you know, so it's like, okay, well I need to have a prison present or at least a space present that seems to be like safe, but I need to make that not safe. Yeah. You know, so. But that, but that whole conversation started with you spontaneously making a drawing and then saying, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. this reminds me of something and being willing to go down that rabbit hole and and really explore where that's taking you. And I, I think that's important for folks, um, teenagers, right. Mm -hmm. Thinking about becoming artists or just engaging the artistic process, right there. Not everybody's going to be an artist, but everybody can embrace the artistic process and not being afraid of where the ideas might take you. And particularly these days where every bit of information is literally at your fingertips because people are, you know, we've got these massive computers in our pockets. So you could even say, what does a bathtub remind you of? And before you know it, that (laughs) artwork's going to come up, even if you can't remember the artist. Yeah. Well, I want to look at some of the process here. So um, this is a screen print. So what we have is you've given me a little short, I mean, it's not even one minute. I don't think it's um, a video of you printing uh, using a screen. So I'm going to play this and our listeners might hear some little bit of noise. I thought about muting it, but um, it's not very loud. But I want you to explain and sort of narrate what's happening as hmm. this video plays and then we're going to talk about it on the other side okay that sounds great okay so here you can take a look so um this is a screen that um i'm using here where i've got an image of the uh, same king that i showed earlier and uh, putting ink down on it using a squeegee to push ink through the screen um there are hard the there are hard parts of the screen that make it so that ink can't pass through. Now I had already prepared and printed uh, two color layers before, uh, using just a stencil method. Um, this is using a photo method, a light sensitive materials put on the screen. It's hit with light, and everything that's not hit with light uh, washes out and leaves the screen open. Um, I think that's the. I hope that's the simplest way that I can describe it. But uh, there's uh, that process itself of screen printing is something that um, takes a bit of time, right? There's a lot of steps involved, and there's a lot of um, sort of planning that goes in. And that can be really wonderful and great and have a really nice payoff to know that, like, there's a bit of a surprise of what the final image will look like with that as well. Yeah. Now, you motivate. You know, I like that you're using more than one process. You're talking about stencil. Mm-hmm. Um, stencil, I think, is the easiest way to screen print, right? Because um, for those of you who've never screen printed before, you basically have a wooden frame with a screen stretched, mm-hmm. and you have to block. If I just put a squeegee of ink across the whole thing, I'm just going to get a big yeah. square of whatever color ink I used. But right. if you cut a stencil... And I've seen people cut it out of paper. I've seen them cut it out of contact paper because mm-hmm. contact paper can actually sort of stick to the stick. screen. Do you use that ever? I will. I'll use freezer paper, which is like wax paper. Oh, um, get it from Meyer in these like huge, yeah. like seventy-five foot rolls, um, and it works great. So the freezer paper um, blocks the ink from going through the paper, and it's kind of like mono printing to some degree, right? Like once you print it, you. You can't use that same stencil multiple times, or can you? Well, you can make a you can make a, a repeatable image with it, but you can't make a you can't use it later. So it's a one use sort of one. But you can get a I think that you could probably print up to forty or fifty with it being. Um, oh wow! Okay, that's a lot before breaking down. And that's just an estimate. I've never really pushed it to that. Yeah. So I'm watching you pour. So you've got. I noticed you have more than one color that you're pouring onto this. You have black and gray. Do you? let the color mix on the surface rather than making it perfect before you apply it to the screen? Yeah, I like having a, I like having complicated inks. My, my stencils, I'm using like a watercolor approach so that whenever it goes down, it doesn't go down even. Um, and part of that is that in the same way that, I, that I'm using these processes, screen printing loves putting down flat colors. It loves color and it loves flatness. And I think like, okay, well, I want to push it so that I can make that black more interesting. Yeah. And so that I can make those flatness more interesting. Yeah. So in that same way, like trying to get something, I think that you can get more interesting things out of something that doesn't want to do that thing rather than um, just using another process because I can get great textures with Intaglio and that's like a lot of work in order yeah. to do that. 
Well, I know when I ask students to paint, I like them to not always mix the color in the palette. Mm -hmm. I either like them to either take the raw paint and mix it on the surface. Uh, mm -hmm. You just get the brilliance that pops in the imp in the right. is impredict <laughs> unpredictability. Yeah. 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 And so then I noticed when you pulled a squeegee across, I, I know in screen printing, you take the squeegee, you pull the ink across the whole image. But then I noticed as you went back up, you seemed to be floating a layer of ink. Mm. Why are you doing that? Um, well, there's a lot of dryer that's in screen printing ink. Yeah. And that's intentional because uh, once it's on the paper, it's got air coming from the top and bottom, and it'll dry within about six minutes. Okay. But uh, air is flowing through the bottom of the paper, but not as fast as it flows through the bottom of the screen. So it dries really fast in the screen. If you put it on there thickly, it stays wet and you can set it down and like, and be pretty leisure about your printing. If you leave it dry without that uh, flood, as we call it, okay, um, it'll dry out in that screen and then you'll end up with little spots where it's like, why is that not? Oh, so the flood is helping you prepare to do some work and it lets you walk away for a minute. Uh, mm -hmm. It's like putting cellophane over a bowl yep. almost so it doesn't dry out. It also makes it so that I'm pulling the same direction whenever I'm pulling it down because if you push it, can slightly affect where it's happening on the paper. So if you go to make a print again, do you just work with the flood and just mm -hmm. keep printing that way? Well, or do... you know you've got enough ink on it yeah. because it covered it all. Yeah, okay. So. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, and so then um, this these images that are on the screen now, I just have, what I did is I took a bunch of stills for oh, yeah. those of you listening just to break up that video. So um, is there anything you'd like to add that we you didn't get to say when you were talking about the video itself? Um. Uh, this is uh, me. I'm, I've been working on being able to work from home more often and doing stencils is a great way to be able to like always have it available to me. And then whenever I can go in and get my complicated stuff done, um, that's whenever I'll include that. So it's sort of a combination of those two uh, approaches. Yeah. Now, this is a different king mm -hmm. sitting in a tighter castle that isn't quite falling apart yet but we can tell there's something happening here that's not uh i don't know for viewers right we've got green what looks like grass around this square that the castles and in the background we see storm clouds and um coming at a diagonal and like what do the flags on this castle say it says blessings be upon me he doesn't look very blessed though <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. So is this part of a series? Would you do you link this work to the previous work we yeah. talked about? I would think all my work is somewhat connected. And part of that is due to that. Um, a lot of the way that I work is that I don't feel like I'm reinventing the wheel every time I approach the, the image. I think, what did I like about the last thing I made? And if there's nothing that I liked about it, then I go, well, what is the last thing that I made that I liked? Hmm. And then, okay, well, why did you like that? So for this one, I really like the idea of having these characters that seem to be fitting in with that sort of cliche or the um, so story of uh, the sort of wise old leader. Yeah. And I'm, I had a good time undermining that, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Like giving them a sense of like, well, I mean, what is this? And I, I, I think sometimes it, it tries, uh, most times I try and come from a place of empathy and thinking like that this seems just as sad of a place for this ex person to be exalted into as much as it is seems as sad for this character to be exalted in this way. So I, um, so I don't want it to just be like, I don't like anything that's like finger pointing and saying like that person's wrong or that person's bad. Um, I like finger pointing and being like, well, that's complicated. Mm. And, mm. and that's where I'm going to think and be interested and be curious. Because I think to some extent, art is just sort of the opportunity to witness somebody else's curiosity. That's an interest. That's interesting, right? Because mm -hmm. I think we often, maybe we encourage students. I don't know, but I think about um, high school programs, and you know, you've got to make a statement. You have to say something that's very direct and very pointed. You have to take a position, mm -hmm. and um, you're suggesting maybe not. Maybe we're showing the complexity of an issue or showing that we're curious around the edges yeah. of an issue. Mm -hmm. um, well, cause I think like making is a, is, I mean, I'm working through problems. I'm working through, I'm trying to make up my mind while I'm making. And I include that there. Um, if I made up my mind before I made, why would I make it? 
You know, I, do you know what I mean? Like if I knew what it was before, I probably wouldn't spend that time creating it. And if I understood it before I made it, why would I make it? I first had that thought about photography and painting because I was working as a painter for mm-hmm. several years. And then I started working in photography. And then I thought, well, I'll take a photograph in order to make a painting. And then I thought, well, if I have the photograph, why make the painting? Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. if it says everything, why just translate it to another medium? And so you're saying, yeah, if I already have the work. You said something to me that I thought was interesting one time. We were at an opening and you were in between series. Mm. I said, how are you doing? How are you? And you said, oh, I'm kind of frustrated. I just mm. don't really know what I'm making right now. And I said, oh, yeah. isn't that exciting? And you just looked at me like <laughs> I had two heads. And you're like, no, yeah. Cam, it is not exciting. And you explained that you like, I don't know if you use the word certainty, mm-hmm. but you like the certainty of knowing when you engaged work, where you were going with your work. And you didn't like not knowing where you were going. Can you say some more about that? Well, I think that the best place to be is not always the place you want to be, right? What do you mean? I think that we're, I mean, I'm always looking for more certainty within things. But then after you have too much certainty, it's like, you know what we need here? We need some uncertainty and some creativity, Yeah. right? Because right now this is feeling a bit stale and a bit too predictable. So in order to, to do that, it has to be disrupted. And I think also to make work, To make good work, you have to also make some really terrible work. And to finish terrible work requires a huge amount of comfort Hmm. in... Because this is what happens to everybody when they first start making... Don't you just abandon terrible work? I mean, why why finish it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hear it all the time, right? I hate this. I'm not going to finish it. But is there there anything to be had in finishing it? Or is it okay to go, yeah, I don't like it. Let's just set it aside and move on to a new idea. That is a that is such a ridiculous question. I have no idea why. You know, you're right. I should have I should just drop it. But I think I'm not ready to drop it until I know why. Ah. Right. Like, why is this not good? Why is this bad? And, and a lot of times, as a printmaker, I'm stuck because it's like you do. You know, you start with start with step A, carve the block. Step B, you know, roll up the block. Step C, print it, and you've made art. And to like stop at step A. Hmm. would mean that like you've never even given it a chance to be terrible you know? <laughs> and and i've never given it a chance to be terrible to n- understand why it's terrible giving terrible art a chance give it a chance you know that'd be I, a good t-shirt I, I like that you should screen print <laughs> these t-shirts i like that yeah so i'm looking right you've got these two images we've talked about and i want to go on because i've got another piece i want to talk mm-hmm. about of yours that i find super fascinating but you know to do work like this you must really work in just the most elaborate, pristine studio. And, you know, like, right, it takes special equipment. Yeah. It takes, uh, you know, so here I have an image of your studio, yeah. and I'm being a little sarcastic, yes. I guess, but, like, yeah. it's people my... say they can't work because they don't have the space, <laughs> and yet I'm looking at the space. How would you describe this space to people listening? This is my messy basement corner. Right? Um. Then and that's where I, I, some work happens down here, but it is too dark for me to work. So instead, it becomes sort of a place where I leave stuff. The uh, person that we purchased this house from, he made beer, okay. and I guess he wanted to make beer secretly. So he built in a uh, an elaborate bookshelf that, like, if you pull an encyclopedia that's built into it, would lift a latch, and the bookshelf will slide open and reveal this space. So this space is actually hidden. It can be hidden behind a bookshelf in my basement. Ooh, so it's got like 007 yeah, kinds of some like Scooby-Doo yeah. vibes going on with it. <laughs> and I, I remember whenever we purchased the house, we we're like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to leave that closed. And then it was like, I think I had a curator that came by and it was like, oh, I should show them this space. And then it was like, wait a second, you're going to bring somebody down into your basement behind a closed door <laughs> yeah. like hidden i'm pretty Nobody's sure that's the beginning of that. a lot of murder mysteries right, right there yeah, yeah i would not of, want to follow you in there it is a horror movie beginning yeah and i want to go on but like why do you have a mirror in your studio well i think that it's my wife's grandmother's mirror and i i guess it'd be nice to i guess i surprise myself seeing myself in there yeah, but well, good to see. Hey, look, I'm working. <laughs> see, there's evidence. Well, I just asked because I had a professor once who said um, it's a great way to see your art mm. is if you hold it up to a mirror, oh, yeah. it re- inverts, right? It reverses the image and it helps you see something perhaps in 
Mm-hmm. It helps you see it in a new way. And so maybe you'll discover something about the work. I've I've had areas that are problematic and I'm like, oh, now I see what's missing or why that area is bothering me. Um, but just putting it in a mirror can help. I think it's really important to have opportunities to see things in front of you to sort of, you know, I, I like to put up things that I'm curious about or that I'm interested in so that I can see that. And sometimes I'll, I'll lose interest in it and then swing back to it like years later and be like, oh, yeah, there was that. You know what? I'll make that art piece that I was thinking about or I'm going to use that to sort of inform this art piece. You know? Right. There is that notion that the minute you start something, you have to work and finish it and you mm-hmm. can't ever set it aside. You have to keep going back. So that's a challenge. Yeah. So we've got two prints and then I want to get to this other work. So what's happening, right? We're looking at a black and white. Mm-hmm. It's not only black and white. There's other colors in here. Yeah. I see so, gray. I see tan. It's a three color. Uh, so black, uh, gray, and yellow. Hmm. Um, I've been working on a, I've been trying to get a watercolor process to work for me in printmaking. So I've had a lot of sort of attempts to just like get this one. I just want it to look right. So um, this is one of those attempts. And it's also, uh, it's using the same sort of photo-based approach that, that I'm doing. So I'll make multiple drawings on uh, tracing paper, and then I'll put those onto screens and um, expose them, print them here using different colors. You've got mounds in the foreground. Uh, you, you include these kinds of mounds in several of your prints, I noticed. They kind of uh, sinister, mm-hmm. could erupt into... Something and you've got these trees that come up, and then in the middle, it's the middle, but it's the background also. You've got mm-hmm. these, um, they're not tract homes, but like each one seems to be similar. So yeah. there's like the same arborvitae hedge, they're the same. Um, I don't know if there's a predictability about this, mm-hmm. but then we've got this sinister thing happening in the <laughs> foreground. Is that accurate? I think, um, I think part of it is that I, I, Sometimes I just, you know, I want to draw what I want to draw. And I think, like, I want to do some textures. So let me draw a bunch of textures and things like that. But I, I also think that a lot of times those get led by feelings. And sometimes those feelings can become, like, um, like with the King one that we were looking at earlier, it can be a bit too direct or too on the nose. Yeah. And then it's this one. You know what? I want to kind of have, like, a sense of strangeness and oddness. And I wanted to make a description of the strange meeting between the suburbs, which I think get a lot of derision and uh, get pla- placed into a sort of vault of like, they get described as being very uh, simple, safe, and boring, yeah. cookie cutter. Um, but what's strange about the suburbs is that they're sort of also the place where this like wilderness and the city meet, hmm. right? Um, or at least where like, the outside world and the city meet. And I guess that's what I'm trying to describe here is the strange sort of control that goes on to nature in these in these mm. locations. Yeah. But also the unpredictability of it. Interesting. And so we have another image here, um, right? It's also sort of a vertical image. We've got mm-hmm. gray and black and white in the foreground. It's also at the bottom third of the print. And yeah. then you've got color in the top two thirds and um, there's a figure in the immediate foreground. Mm-hmm. Um, are they wearing a gas mask or does it just seem like that? I think that there are these heads that are just sort of popping out of yeah. the of this ground. So I see it as like a landscape with heads. Yeah. Um, and then the sky is using that watercolor uh, printmaking approach so that I can print using stencils a flat color that's giving me a lot of textures. And I'd say that this one's mostly just trying to make sure that I can get Printing at home sort of processes so that I can print the relief, which is what the bottom is, uh, and mix it with screen printing. And then I can do it all at home without requiring any like other equipment. So there's a practicality to what you're doing. And And an experimentation Mm -hmm. of like, oh, you know what? I need to combine these two things. Mm -hmm. And I'm giving myself the space of like, well, I can be creative and like have these ideas, but do I need to defend this about like, or describe this in the perfect way to say, like, this is what it means and this is what mm-hmm. it's about. No, I wanted to sort of an odd space and I wanted to have an odd space juxtaposed or contrasting a, a big sort of like colorful and abstract sky. Well, yeah. and it also allows the viewer to enter the work. Like, I just got 
I watched uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is a battlefield. And that, like mm. that's the residue of the bombs being exploded in the back. And oh, yeah. Somebody else might uh, bring a different narrative to mm -hmm. this work. So um, that's the beauty of being able to have an open space for that. Well, and that's what's wonderful about understanding that every space that's being described is a psychological one. Um, what do you mean? So um, it's coming from your mind. It's being created and it's being filtered through a psyche. Um, and and it's going to take material from that psyche and move it into the image. So mm -hmm. anytime mm -hmm. that you're looking at an image of a landscape, like it's got somebody's mind is attached to it. Yeah. So thinking about not necessarily like it's not going to like what is it saying? I don't think that it needs to directly be saying anything, but I think a lot of times it'll describe a feeling. Yeah. We've got some just a little time left. I want to talk about this last mm -hmm. image that you've provided to me. This is uh, for viewers. This is not a print. Mm -hmm. It's a structure, right? It's like a, I think of a relief sculpture, <laughs> right? It hangs on the wall, yeah. but yet it looks like a, a porch and uh, we've got the, um, what do you call that? <laughs> There's a word for that. Uh, help me out. Describe the front porch. Oh, the front porch. The facade. The the, the roof. Yeah. The roof. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, awning. I no, guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, anyway. <laughs> it's made out of wood. There's a name yeah. for that structure. Yeah. Yeah. But we've got like it looks like poop coming out of the windows, yeah. and I would imagine that's intentional. Yeah. Right. Like, what's happening here? What is this about? So um, I got really excited about making these about making these houses. Um, I and and I and I. I was watching um, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, which is not a very good movie. <laughs> but in the movie, there was like a little house that was built. And that was like, it was scary and spooky and weird. And I thought, oh, I want to remake my house that way. So I did. And then I really liked doing that. And so I thought, well, I'm going to make, I want to make pieces for other people this way. Yeah. And, but it didn't feel complete. So I was thinking like, well, what, what do I like about this? Well, I like this sort of like pristine facade of a house. And then I want it to be like disrupted. So yeah. the way I'm disrupting it by having this sort of like, you know, blobby um, stuff sort of flow out of it. And sometimes it's black and other times I've had it be more colorful. So that it's, um, and I, I don't want it to be that it's just like ruining the space. But I think that like, the interiors and homes and places, just the domestic environment has felt so much more complicated since um, having entered the pandemic. And if we can consider it now having a leaving, leaving it. Yeah. There are just so many uh, sort of strange feelings about these places that are safe it feel, or that are like home or that are protective or that are feeling like, you well, know. Well, we assume homes are safe, mm -hmm. but for many, many people, right. young people, Mm -hmm. They're not safe spaces. There's and, spaces that are bloated. There's spaces where you can't wait to get out of. There's yeah. spaces that uh, are damaging to people. Mm -hmm. um, I think this speaks to that. Well, and I, I don't want it to just be that, like, this is a negative thing, because I think there's a real beauty to that, like, sludge coming out. There's something real sort of, like, curious, and and I see it mostly as, like, a surprise that, like, seeing the two things together they don't belong together it's clearly a prop it's not like it's reality um so it exists in this strange sort of fantasy space of like is this a bad or a good thing because it's a great thing because it's so much fun to sort of destroy and like work against and have that act myself to destroy these little homes and these little yeah. front porches that i make um but at the same time like i really like them for feeling like sort of cute and quaint and they're you know. funny mm -hmm. they're a little sarcastic yeah. they're ironic right yeah. but then how do you represent the fact that we have this intense materialism mm -hmm. in the united states in particular yeah. and that we are just filling our homes with objects yeah. to the point where they are literally you know like where <laughs> we, we have one of the highest rates of people who rent storage space just to put stuff because yeah. our houses are full of stuff and yeah. we don't have room for all of it. So we rent spaces. So like this is, this also could speak to that, right? As a metaphor. Absolutely. So here you are building one of these structures. I like the fact that you said you build it to destroy it. So yeah. that's gotta be kind of fun. Right? Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think, I think 
including both of those acts is like one of the easiest and most fun ways to sort of engage um, yourself as a viewer and engage yourself as somebody who's like, you know, how, how can you be interested in this object? Um, you know, I, I, I love watching like silly movies and thinking like, well, why did these people work on this terrible thing <laughs> for so long? You know, so much money went to make something so awful. Hopefully they got paid. <laughs> that might have been part of it. Yeah. But you're right. Why, why would you invest your time? You know, so what you get money for doing work. If it's not quality work you can stand behind, why would you do it? So that's a good question to be queried. Well, and, and getting that opportunity to like to make something and know that it doesn't need to be great. Um, there's probably going to be somebody and hopefully there'll be somebody that sees it and that like makes a connection to it. It makes a connection to you in that in that sort of in that way. Yeah. And in that way, it's like it's a way that you can play. And I think I, with most things, like when you're watching somebody else have a good time, you have a good time, too. Yeah. So we're going to start wrapping up here. Um, I have these images you have. Is there anything you wanted to say about your artwork before we go on and uh, kind of start wrapping things up? Anything about the works that we've talked about that you would hope to have gotten to, to talk about? I think that um, it's wonderful to share work like this and get an opportunity to talk about it. I think for me, talking about work is a way that I can, that helps me to understand it yeah. and better understand what's going on there. Yeah. Um, and the more chance that I get to do it, uh, I think is really helpful for me. And I think a lot of those ways that I've learned to talk about it are ways that I've learned from other people. So making sure that like, you know, me catching on to like, this person said that you can't make art and think at the same time, you know, and like, oh, well, can you, you know, or another person telling me that like art is a lie that tells the truth, you know, um, that's not something that I would have came up with on my own. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know if I agree with those things, but man, do I really bring those with me whenever I'm looking at somebody else's work and whenever I want to make work too. Yeah. So I think it's always great to just have like conversations, hear what other people send ideas are now, hopefully you're sparking concepts you're sparking dialogue within somebody else's head yeah and i mean you hope that that dialogue is related to what you're thinking about right and i think that's at least for me that's the real intent is that like i'm making a connection with another human being yeah to think about things that i think about hmm. and not necessarily am i teaching anybody anything or telling us telling an exact story that needs to be described or figured out in this one way well and surely if you and I are talking about something you're thinking about, I would hope that mm -hmm. at some point what I have to say might expand what you're thinking about yeah. and vice versa. Right. Yeah. So I want to give you a chance to give us five tips on um, exactly what strategies you would give advice about, right? We've got students that, for example, um, you know, five tips that might help them in expressing themselves through the visual arts. So uh, take mm -hmm. a minute to think about that. Cause I just want to be able to say, First of all, um, before we end the, this first episode, I want to say this series is made possible by an EMU College of Arts and Sciences Dean's Faculty Professional Development Award, which is made possible through a generous gift from The Game Above, which is a group of dedicated Eastern Michigan University alumni with various academic and professional backgrounds. Also, big thanks to Max with Be Now Media, and we have been recording this session at Grove Studios in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And uh, big thanks to all the people who've agreed to be on the podcast and uh, special thanks to Brian Spolins for taking time out of his day to uh, really talk about his work. And I'm, it's been such a pleasure, Brian. Thank you, Dr. Kim. I yeah. Love being here. Yeah. So five tips that we would leave our um, students, particularly teens, right? Like they, teachers working with students. Mm -hmm. what, what advice would you give them? What five tips? Uh, tip number one would be to play. Um, and remember, play doesn't always just mean giggling and whatever. It, it's whatever it is that gets you excited, invested, interested. Follow that. Two, don't be afraid to make bad work. I think that's really critical, right? <laughs> Everybody wants to be perfect. Yeah. Right? And I, I actually think, like, work to make bad work. Like, try and make it bad. Because um, if, if you understand why it's bad... You're gonna. It gives you a better understanding of good. Play, make bad work. Three, uh, push yourself to try new things. 
always be trying and and putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. Um, four, build a bag of tricks so that when you're in that uncomfort zone, you have multiple approaches. You have a bunch of things that you've done before. The more varied your bag of tricks, the different ways that you're going to have to solve problems. Um, and five, uh, make sure that you're enjoying it. Don't make it punishing. Don't make it something that makes you feel guilty. Don't make it something that makes you feel like you're doing it wrong. Um, you want to be making something that that sort of expresses your interest, your curiosity, and, and what makes you feel. And also that also extends like um, what's great and what's good about you. And that makes you feel good too. Thank you so much, artist, professor, Brian Spolins, printmaker, drawer, painter. <laughs> this has really been a pleasure. And I would like to thank everyone for listening. May you go out into the world and engage artistic processes for yourselves. Enjoy. Thank you.